Sungbuk is a young guy. He's Korean-American, 34 years old. He's an entrepreneur, and he had this dream that he and his best friend from college would start a company before they got married and settled down. On a trip to China, he's up late one night in his hotel room, and that's where he gets his multi-million dollar idea. And I'm flipping through channels, and you know, in the middle of China, they're showing Korean dramas all around the clock, right? This is a clip from the show Bachelor's Vegetable Store. That's actually the name of it, Bachelor's Vegetable Store. It's a Korean soap opera about a bunch of good-looking kids who run a vegetable store and attract attention from older women. It's based on a true story, and it's actually kind of good. You know me? I'm no. Sung Buck and his college buddy looked around, and they saw that these Korean soap operas were everywhere. They had a huge following online. You go to other parts of the world, like I went to a bachelor party in Cancun. I mean, they're, they're, they're airing Korean drama dubbed in Spanish. Then you read all these news reports about how like people throughout Southeast Asia and other parts of the world are going crazy over, of all things, Korean dramas. <laughs> This one is called Vampire Prosecutor. And he prosecutes? <laughs> he drinks blood. That's, yeah, that sums it up. So Sungbuck thinks this is it. I'm going to be the YouTube of Korean dramas. I will be the Hulu of adorable vegetable stand purveyors. I'm going to bring over all these soaps to America. They built a website, found a sexy name, Drama Fever. And it turns out these shows are just as addictive to those of us in the U.S. We have 2 million monthly active users, right, mostly from sort of organic kind of growth. And now that we have some additional resources, you know, we are really looking and planning on scaling the business so that we could become one of the, one of the top Internet properties in the world. So we have this entrepreneur. He's got this big idea, right? All these resources he's talking about, those are venture capitalists. They recently gave him a couple million dollars. He started this little company. He's hired a couple dozen people. They're about to move to a brand new office. It's all going his way. Now, if this is the classic story, though, there is one last step. Okay, so um, so when do you think you're going to go public? I mean, to be to be completely candid, going public has never... You know, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just me personally. That stuff to me is all vanity and it's just not that important. I, I guess, like, you know... I probably spent less than five minutes cumulatively since we started drawing. If you were thinking about maybe one day becoming a public company. What happened? This used to be the dream of any young man or woman who started a company, that you would grow it, you would get investors, you would have an IPO, you'd make a million dollars, make a billion dollars, and all of a sudden you're relaxing on the shore of a South Sea island somewhere that you just bought. Think about it. Everyone wanted a scene like this one. The scene that happened on the morning that Facebook went public. This was the scene in Menlo Park, right outside of Facebook's headquarters in Silicon Valley. Mark Zuckerberg is standing on a stage. He's surrounded by Facebook employees. They're all cheering him on. He's about to ring the opening bell for the NASDAQ stock exchange. Who wouldn't want that? Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Robert Smith. I'm Zoe Chase. Today on the show, what happened to the dream of the public company? Perhaps you've heard that the Facebook IPO was disappointing, and that's true. But people had been souring on the notion of going public long before that. American innovators, many of them in Silicon Valley, they don't want to follow in the footsteps of Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, or Mark Zuckerberg.
There's the bell opening up the trading of Facebook on the Nasdaq Stock Exchange. And instantly, the company was transformed to a very different legal entity. A public corporation means, very simply, that the ownership is divided up into shares that the public can buy. And they're traded in the market. Some shares will give you a vote in how the company is run. Others won't, but you still get a little piece. This idea that thousands or even millions of people could together own a business, this public company is arguably the greatest invention in capitalism. The public company really took off in the mid-19th century here in America because we had big things to accomplish. Roads to build, railroad tracks to lay, steel to smelt, or whatever it is you do with steel. And historians say that literally no one person, no partnership of the richest people in America had enough money to do this alone. The public company built America. It made countless people rich, and not just the owners, but the investors, the middle class, retirees. The public company helped everybody. Anybody who has 50 bucks could buy a part of the American dream. And they did for years. And that's how prosperity was spread. Now, all of a sudden, we have people driving the economy saying, no thanks. People like the Korean drama guy at the beginning of the show. And people like Jay Shikawat, another smart startup guy. He's in Chicago. He's the head of a company called Field Glass that helps other companies find workers. At this point, his firm has made a lot of money. It's profitable. It's got a lot of investment. And because of this, every couple of weeks, he gets calls from investment bankers. They want to take his company public. He knows exactly why they're calling. The case for the public markets that they lay out is straightforward. They say that you're you know, at a size or approaching a size where you'd be very welcome in the public markets. You're more profitable. You're growing at a good clip. And, uh, you know, we can take you public, you know, within X number of months, you know, if you would like. You'll be very welcome in the public markets. This is code for we can make you very rich. Sounds nice. But Jay, he turns them down every time. People don't really see it as a badge of honor anymore. It's a, it's a hassle. He and Sung Buck, the Korean dramas guy, they have a different dream. It's not the classic American route of going public. They dream of selling out, taking money from private investment or getting bought out by a big company. Sung Buck's dream is that Somebody like Google or Hulu will come along, they'll notice what he's doing, and they'll buy his company for a ton of money. Yeah, but you can make a ton of money in the public markets. You can make a ton of money with an IPO. Why not do that? Well, Jay has a few reasons. One, going public is expensive. There is a tremendous compliance cost to going public. You've got to redo all your procedures, get them audited, etc. Right? So that's a big cost. Thanks to big corporate scandals at public companies, remember Enron and WorldCom, there are lots of new rules these days to protect shareholders. Keeping up with these new rules is expensive. Companies have to change their accounting systems. They have to write all these reports constantly. They have to answer to stockholders. And now more than ever, those stockholders will sue you. In other words, going public is not as fun as it used to be. Yeah, the second reason we heard from Jay is that it's hard to run your company for the long term, to experiment, to innovate, to try things out, to screw up, to go back to the drawing board. All that stuff is almost impossible when markets demand results every few months. Those quarterly earnings you always hear about on CNBC, that's what drives public companies. And finally, there's a huge risk to going public. Should you have a bad quarter or two, should your stock price drop? Then you are orphaned. Orphaned. Orphaned means that you miss your earnings by a couple pennies and your big investors, the pension funds, the mutual funds, all that, they up and leave. And you're out there in the market by yourself, alone. 
and then your stock really drops, and then you need to find some more investors. I picture these poor orphan companies. Please, sir, may I have some more? So sad. <laughs> so, like a little... <laughs> yes, it is sad, and you don't even get visitors. There's no relatives either. So with all these hassles of going public, Jay has stayed private. He's taken on big investors, and he's made a ton of money. So personally, how well is he doing? Ask him. Can you tell us what your salary is? No. You know, if you were a public company, I would know exactly what your salary was. Yes, you would. You would, and I'd have to tell you. But, you know, you're getting to some of the reasons why uh, it's, it's a, it's a trade-off, even, even considering going public. I don't know. This path seems right for Jay. He can do whatever he wants. He can avoid the hassle. He can make whatever private money he wants. But I feel like perhaps, I don't want to get too big here, but I feel like perhaps the United States has lost something here. I mean, you can't overstate how important public companies have been to growing wealth. And not just to to entrepreneurs, but for everyone. Like, let's say I want to invest in Jay's idea. Or let's say I want to invest in this Korean drama company, Drama Fever. I don't have that opportunity unless I have at least a couple hundred thousand dollars. Millions of dollars. Millions of dollars to be an angel investor. Then I am locked out of this market. I am locked out of the innovation that's happening in Silicon Valley right now because that's only for people who have enough money. The money I have, these guys don't want it. I do agree that in the Silicon Valley in particular, um, there's a, um, there is a general attitude that kind of um, – you know, the cool kids, the cool kids sell their companies rather than going public. This is Spencer Raskoff. He is not one of the cool kids. He's the CEO of a public company, Zillow. It's this awesome web service. It helps you figure out real estate prices. And Raskoff, he says it's simple. If you have a big idea, you want to grow a big company, there's still only one path to take. I think people that are building, you know, Smaller ideas and small with smaller opportunities are going to try to sell their company, and those those that have larger ambitions likely need to go public at some point. It's more of a of a state of mind. It's sort of like you know, it's it's the guy that begrudgingly says, "Oh, I don't ever want to get married," even though he clearly intends to and wants to, and then eventually does. Um, it, it's it's not or it's not a real objection. It's kind of a it's just kind of something you say. And Raskoff says that it's not just the decision to go public. In fact. The dream of going public informed the entire growth of his company, the entire way Zillow's organized, encouraged him to dream big, to build out the infrastructure, to get his whole accounting department in shape. He wanted to reinvent the way people buy and rent their homes. He planned to be around for decades. It was always kind of a mile marker on this path. I mean, what we're trying to do at Zillow is is build a company for the next generation, build a, a 20, 30, 50, 100-year company that means consumer empowerment in real estate. And being public will help us get there. You know, look at other giant technology companies. Look at what Apple has accomplished or Google or Microsoft. It would be impossible for those companies to have accomplished what they've accomplished had they stayed private. So it's an important step to help them have the resources available to achieve their their long-term mission. We wanted to be public. We have wanted to be public for several years, and I'm very glad that we have become public. Because here's one of the strange things about this. If you're a company that plans to go public, you can actually raise more private money, too, and raise it earlier than anyone else because those investors, they know that that big payday, that big paycheck is waiting for them. If you raise a lot of money, um, your investors that gave you that money, they want to make that money back. Um, They're not in it for their health. They're just out of the kindness of their own heart. They're trying to earn a return. 
And so generally speaking, I mean, the more money you raise, the, the larger a sale or some type of exit you need in order for your investors to earn a return. And that's fair. I mean, different companies decide how they want to pay themselves back and how they want to pay their investors back. But I still wonder how this shift by the cool kids is going to play out in the marketplace. I mean, if everyone wants to just start small companies that grow quick, that they can sell quick, and then everybody moves on to the next thing, who's growing the big companies of tomorrow? Do we even want big companies of tomorrow? We were talking to one of the editors of The Economist magazine, Adrian Woolridge, and he put it in this colorful way. He said that instead of becoming competitors to the big companies out in Silicon Valley, these small companies are becoming courtesans to the big princelings, the big Googles and the Facebooks and the Apples. They're not challenging them directly. They're creating these complementary ideas. Like imagine if all Steve Jobs dreamed about was getting bought out by IBM or Microsoft. Would he have dreamed so big? As always, we would love to hear what you thought of today's show. Email us, planetmoney at npr.org, or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Or the next big thing. Or the next big thing. What's that? I don't know. It hasn't been invented yet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm Zoe Chase. And I'm Robert Smith. Thanks for listening.